If a small flock of cartoon bluebirds didn't help you get dressed this morning, that just means you haven't yet listened to Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor. No, the black dress slacks, please. Thank you. And now, Jim Hill. Anybody got any questions or? Sure. It's kind of an interesting moment. I mean, again, we were talking on, on the earlier show about what's going on at Netflix and, for example, what Glenn Keane's up to with the, the girl on the moon. Yeah, the, over the moon. Over the moon. Over the moon. Yeah. Hand-drawn project. I mean, you also have to understand that not necessarily one of the prouder aspects of John Lasseter's legacy at Disney is that he, yeah, he actually, I remember I was in the... Uh, the convention center in New Orleans after Disney bought Pixar and he stood on stage and I am bringing back hand-drawn animation at Disney. They made the initial effort with Princess and the Frog and then if you talk with people at Disney and the whole notion of what they did with Winnie the Pooh when they had an entire year to pick release dates and they picked the the weekend that the very last Harry Potter. <laughs> Let's send this into the buzz zone. What could possibly yeah. happen? It was assisted suicide. And then it's like, well, look, we have proven that there is in fact no market out there for hand-drawn animation, and we'll pivot the CG and be in the space. It's very frustrating for me personally. I mean, you were telling the story early today. Yeah, well, I was going to say that it's not. I don't think it's completely dead, but it's definitely like at Record Ralph. They had Mark Henn, who you know animated Jasmine and helped with Ariel and was worked out of this studio in Florida. He was in every animation meeting for Ralph Breaks the Internet. He approved all the dailies along with the filmmakers and he did whole sequences of the, the new princesses and gave that to the, the people who were actually animating the princesses. Yeah, you were talking about how he was, would literally use He would draw over the yeah. animation. And he actually, there are, there are a few hand-drawn animated characters in that sequence. The sorcerer making on top of the animation building mm-hmm. is him. Humphrey the Bear and the the park ranger are in the background, completely 2D. And also the Nosemore character, his eyes are 2D. So there are things like that in there. And when you see the princesses, you know, see how much of a debt they owe Mark Hen, who Jeffrey Katzenberg once called the Julia Roberts of animation. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. But I think that Jim and I probably feel the same way that when, if it comes back, it's going to be something like Paper Man, where it's like, you know, a 3D model mapped with 2D textures or something like that. Or, you know, even Moana, you know, the tattoos that Eric Goldberg drew on Maui. But I don't think, I don't think, it's going to be a while before it's, there's a 2D feature. And speaking of which, it makes me crazy that you have, you have an Eric Goldberg in the building. And what they've chosen to do with Eric, I mean, for example, with the first record, Ralph, they weren't sure when they came up with the final design of Ralph whether or not it was going to work. Because again, remember, we started off with Donkey Kong, we went to our hobo bear, and we then went to large man in, in overalls with one strap. So before they committed to build the rig, they had Eric take a chunk of dialogue from, I don't know what John C. Riley movie it was, but they had him hand draw a scene with Ralph and then it was literally take this to the heads of uh, animation at Disney like you know do you like this okay because if you like this we'll go build the rig it's like using Michelangelo to house paint artists only have so many years when they're wonderful I've been following Eric Goldberg 
since he worked on Raggedy Ann and Andy with Richard Williams back in the mid-70s. I mean, when he was the young kid on the crew and working, you know, with people like Corny Cole and all that. Yeah. And so it kind of breaks my heart that here he is, Corny Cole's age, and he's not he's not doing what he's great at. The last time I saw him, he was like, I'm finishing up work on the happily ever after fireworks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so little for them to do. It's like, oh, good, this is a special project. Or when he did all of that art for the restaurant in Shanghai, yeah. when he did all that sort of the, Hirschfeld yeah. art. No, it's just, it, it's wrong. People like that. I mean, there, there are just certain people where you, you pay them to do their job well, and they create things that entertain us and that we love. Don't hold your breath or you turn blue, I think is what we're trying to you say. Know, that said, though, I think Disney Plus is going to be a fascinating area because, again, the pressure is off in regard to you must deliver something that you know will will work theatrically. Disney's mindset these days is they, they constantly swing for the fences. It's all about, it's never about just get me on base or get me a double. Everything must be a home run. And if you think about any other studio in the world right now, if they had two films that cost as much to make as A Wrinkle in Time and Nutcracker in the Four Realms that had underperformed at the box office, that would be all the financial press talked about, that they would hit their stock in a big way. But, of course, because this is Disney that had Black Panther, which made over a billion dollars, and... Infinity War. Infinity and Incredibles War, two. Incredibles 2. And with Mary Poppins Returns looming over the horizon, it's just sort of like, yeah, okay, those, those were blips, but we're having our best year ever. I'm very hopeful that because Disney Plus is not doesn't have to adhere to you must be a, you must make a billion dollars, that some cool stuff can come out of that. Yes. Um, and and who knows maybe Pete Doctor. Yeah. You know, narrative guru. Narrative yeah. guru. Yeah. 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 Everything has to be a some kind of synergistic home run, and it feels like that the Disney Plus stuff will be very much relegated to Disney Plus. There does not have to be a void VR experience or a theme park attraction or anything. It's so interesting you bring this up because I, I was talking with a, a gentleman who worked in parades at Disneyland for years and years and, and pitched a, a, an amazing all-seas-themed parade for DCA. They were going to do a parade float in it that was Pirates of the Caribbean with Jack Sparrow. They were going to do a parade float in it that was the Nautilus and the Squid. They actually found all of these properties that you could do something around. And he actually got the head of entertainment at Disney to sit down with him. And the guy went over the parade and said, look, this is wonderful. You put a lot of thought into this, and you've, you've been very respectful of the history of the company who pulled things together. And then he walks up to the board and proceeds to write Cars, High School Musical, Finding Nemo, and I'm trying to think of the fourth property. These four IPs are what the company is investing in right now. And I can't get anything approved at the board level you know, the real money to get these things produced if I can't say that these are tied to these IPs that the company is pushing right now. And this is sadly really what the Disney company is today. I mean, if you're tired or frozen now, you are not going to like 2019. Every lever will be pulled. Oh, in, God. Uh, yeah, support it'll, be, it'll be one of these things where it's like, what's that blotting out the sun? You know, and it's like, oh, it's the Frozen 2 logo, <laughs> reminding me that the release date is in November, you know, 2019. In fact, they just moved up the release date. Yeah, I moved it up a week. Yeah. yeah. Which is shocking because I'm sure that thing is very far from finished. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Do we know what the storyline is? 
Aunt Anna and Elsa go far, far away. From Arendelle. So, which I think is an interesting choice. And the Sahara? What are, what are we talking about? <laughs> and evidently, Kristen and Bobby have, have written upwards of six songs at this point. And Frozen opened on Broadway earlier this year. Jim was a big fan. <laughs> the best thing in the show was Sven, Sven, the reindeer. They had such an amazing Sven costume. I said, you know, what you have to do is you have to get Sven on the Tonys to present, you know, to carry an, an envelope out. And, and he said, well, I'll get it later. Well, I couldn't do that, but he did get Sven on the Tonys because it was one of these things where it's like, shape the numbers so Sven could be on stage. But it was like, every Broadway show that Disney has done to date that has succeeded has has something that wows you that only Disney can do. I mean, whether it's the opening of of Lion King where the animals troop down the aisle, or uh, you know, you have Skull Rock spin up out of the ground, or you have uh, Mary Poppins where she flies out out over the audience and Bert dances up the proscenium. The shows that last do. It's not just the classic Disney music. It's not just the characters. That the, there's one thing that only Disney can do in a show. Right. And with this show, you kept waiting for things like, you know, in fact, supposedly the reason that Frozen went into the St. James in New York was it had the deepest orchestra pit in all of New York. At the end of the first act, when Elsa conjures up her ice palace, they were going to invest in all of these acrylic pieces. And when she went like that, his castle would come out of the bottom of the stage. And, and as an audience member, you were supposed to be wowed. And evidently, there was a meeting early on, and it's like, you understand we make most of our money on the road. And if you're going to build a show that has a set that you know, has to come out of the world's deepest orchestra pit, we can't take that show on the road. You have to figure out a way to do the show in a way that it can tour. You feel like you're on Broadway, you've paid Broadway prices, you've walked into a Broadway house, and you're seeing a, seeing a touring show. Right. You know, an easy to stage. Uh, it don't get me wrong, there were, there were amazing effects, there's some wonderful new songs. It's not Beauty and the Beast. No, and think about with Beauty and the Beast. You had that on stage transformation where, you know, in fact, that was, we were talking about that, it was Jim Steinmeier who does all of the magic effects for Disney. And they, they literally let the, the gym and said, how does the beast transform into a man in front of the audience? And it's like, went away, worked in his, came with his workshop, came back, and it's like, okay. And the great thing is that's an effect we can tour with. Yeah. So anyway, we've kind of wandered far, far away from the Disney. Still, you're riveted, I can tell. There we go. Does anyone else have any, any questions? That we can then take in a completely yeah. different direction. Um, Come so. on. Mm-hmm. You don't see anything in the parks or anything related to Kingdom Hearts. I mean, there are walk-around characters. Well, you know, but that's... A, and he's right. They yeah. actually have built the walk-around characters. And the weird thing is the only times they've come out are for, like, corporate parties and Halloween events. And somebody, I saw somebody's wedding. They did a wedding on a Castaway really? K, and the two people that got married... You might uh, remember one of the guys was from Infinity, mm-hmm. and they had these characters at their wedding, which is crazy. So I don't know how many strings were pulled and, and in what direction, but... Correct me if I'm wrong. Kingdom Hearts 3 finally comes out in January? 
Yeah. Great um, time to put out a big video game. <laughs> January. Yeah. Well, Toy Fair. Yeah. I think one of the things that's frustrated Disney is they know there's a fan base. I mean, there's clearly a fan base. But those folks move at their own speed. I mean, how long have we been hearing about Kingdom Hearts? I feel Hearts? like it's been three D23s. Yeah, yeah. Been, you know, and dribbled out information. When you look, for example, for the IPs that are, are featured in this thing, what, what the, the new edition, we've got Pirates of the Caribbean, we've got Monsters, Inc., we've got Tangled. Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas. And it's just... From a Disney point of view, it's like, you, you couldn't do Ragged Rose, you couldn't do Mary Poppins, no. You know, because again, it, it's taken this long to get it to the marketplace. So I think, in a, in a weird sort of way, we're kind of back in Roger Rabbit country. We have two companies that are sharing a set of characters, and that's never good if you're, you're looking to be aggressive, because that means that's... Two sets of phone calls, two sets of meetings. Everybody has to agree on a direction and how you do things. And I guess all we can hope is that when it comes out in January, it's a huge, enormous success and that Disney then gets off its butt and, and decides, all right, we're really going to get behind this and we're going to bring the characters into the park and in a big way rather than just designing the suit and then never ever doing anything with it. There are a lot of Funko pops. There are about 900 Yeah, yeah. So you, you have that to hold And over. it's amazing when you go to a Comic-Con and you see the number of people who have cosplaying and put obviously hours and hours of love and attention to creating these spectacular outfits. There's clearly a fan base out there. I mean, a huge fan base. And again, it's hard to understand sometimes why Disney doesn't move on stuff. But I mean... I mean, for example, when Disney finally bought the Muppets, and the weird thing is, at that point, one of the reasons Disney wanted the Muppets wasn't Kermit, wasn't Piggy, wasn't Fozzie. It was the bear in the big blue house, which was this huge franchise for the company. And, you know, the whole notion of, okay, we'll own that free and clear. We won't have to share that money with the Henson Company. This will be great. Let's start making bear in the big blue house, you know, stuff. It's been 14 years. Have you seen a single bear in the Big Blue Eyes item? Yeah. To give you some idea how far the Muppets had fallen at that point, remember, they, they made the initial bid to buy the company outright for $150 million. By the time they made the deal in 2004, like 35, 40 Yeah, they, had, they were owned by a weird German oh, yeah. holding yeah, company. This, this yeah. German consortium who... Yeah. Okay. You should read uh, Brian J. Jones's great oh, Jim Henson biography no, for some really good it. stories about how Eisner screwed that up. Yeah, but uh, I have a question for you, Jim. Well, we were in Tomorrowland last night. Mm -hmm. Stitch is closed. Uh, what do we think is going in there? You know, if we're putting anything into the park, it has to be tied to an IP, an IP that the company is currently enthusiastic about and is pushing. And right now, that is Wreck-It Ralph. When Tony Baxter was actually pitching this. They had invented it at Imagineering, a racing game where you literally climb into what's supposed to be a soapbox racer kind of a thing. And it has a brake, it has a steering wheel, it has a gas pedal, and you put on a helmet, a safety helmet that has a virtual screen on it. And it's acknowledging everybody else who's sitting in the room around you. So you are legitimately racing against the 30 people who are in the room. And the thing is, you can beat them. You can beat everybody else in the room. And when the ride is over, you have the bragging rights and you can go in, you know, you, know, you forget getting off of Buzz Lightyear and, and being handed the, 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 the sticker. sticker. 
all right, you have the you go get to go into the next room, and it's like they have this entire wardrobe and thing of merch that it's like, did you win? It's like, then you can help yourself this merch. Right. Yeah, well, help yourself isn't give us the money, and we'll give you the merch. Right. But exclusive. Uh, you know. But yeah, again, you only you have the right to get this stuff. So, but the thing is, they didn't have a character. They had the, the technology, they had the concept, they didn't have the character. It was only when Vanellope von Schweetz came along, and it's like, holy crap, we now finally have a character. I was talking with somebody at Imagineering about this, and they said, yeah, that was the way we were going to go until we saw Wreck-It Ralph 2. And why would that concern us? <laughs> I would say that maybe Sugar Rush is something that is not as much a part of this new... World. But there is another racing video game that she goes into, so maybe... But, but it's grand... <laughs> what? Slaughter... It's slaughter race. Yeah, yeah. of course. You're, that's a word that automatically comes to mind when you're going to... Oh, honey, we're going to the Disney theme park. Can't wait for slaughter. Well, yeah. it is in the old extraterrestrial building, well, that's true. so it would keep... Uh, Things did get of, slaughtered yeah. in there. That's yes. entirely yeah. true. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, uh, we're trying to keep this a mini episode, so to, to, we have one more question. Anybody got something to ask? You mentioned Kubo and the Two Strings earlier. Yep. It was one of the best movies I've ever seen, but I feel like nobody saw it. Mm. Correct. Did you guys enjoy it, and did the studio consider it a success for them? Leica doesn't necessarily have to make money in the way yeah. that so many other studios have to make because of who's Travis's dad is. Well, that's funny because I was up at Leica for box trolls. It was a very interesting long lead day, mm -hmm. and I had traveled all the way across country mm -hmm. just to go to Leica for a night. Mm -hmm. And there was this sort of informal lunch with Travis, which mm -hmm. was crazy. Mm -hmm. And I just said, like, how long can you keep doing this? Because these movies really don't make very much money. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you know, we don't have a lot of crew, and we keep the overheads low. We they don't do commercial work anymore, so that avenue of revenue is gone. So, but the, I mean, the facility is huge, and it's got to be like at least what eighty people that that yeah. work there. Yeah. These are still big releases. What's going to be interesting about Missing Link is it's the first movie being released by Annapurna, mm -hmm. which is Megan Ellison's sort of shingle. It's away from Focus Features. I think they were dumped by Focus Features because they didn't make any money. It didn't win the best. Feature animated feature Oscar. That was, and it bird. seems weird because the movies keep getting. I mean, besides Box Trolls, they they're getting better and better and more sophisticated looking visually, mm -hmm. but they don't make any money. There is very little. I mean, there was that that thing in Universal. Do you remember that Leica through the years thing when Kubo was open? And there are walk around characters that you never see in the parks. Talk about they're probably hanging out with the Kingdom Hearts characters, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I just, because I, I, I have that question too. It's like, how many times can you do this and not make any money? That's why I would really love for Missing Link to hit. And, and, and more to the point, just so people would circle back on the catalog. Because that's the thing I love about Paranorman is that I didn't expect a Halloween movie to make me feel that way. In much the same way that you want 
a Universal down the street doing things like the Wizarding World so Disney gets off its ass and makes things like Galaxy's Ed. You want movies like Kubo and Paranorman out there so everybody else in animation steps up their game. It is kind of interesting how much of a stop-motion boom we are in right now, though. Between Isle of Dogs, Mm -hmm. Early Man, obviously a huge game changer. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Missing Link, you know. I'm sure Tim Burton is cooking up something right now. Uh, Mm. But there have been so many stop-motion movies. So it's not the medium, I don't think, that's keeping people away. I don't know. I mean, they they make the movies for indoor kids, I feel like, and not... And, and let's be completely honest. One of the other things we're, we're dealing with here is in a year where you had Black Panther, where you had Infinity Wars, where you had Incredibles, and, and again, the billion that Mary Poppins and Return will make, it used to be you just had to make a good movie that made enough money. I made money for the studio. And now it's like, well, it only made $500 million. And yeah. Oh, my God. You know, what a disappointment to the studio. And it's just our view of what success is for a film these days is so distorted. For example, Hocus Pocus, all right, is now this beloved film. When it came out in 93, nobody went, because first of all, it was a Halloween movie coming out in the middle of summer. But it took 25 years for an audience to find it. And it's, for me, it's always fascinating to see, like, you know, remember the uh, the D23 events they did for, like, Rocketeer? Yeah. And all these people would come out. John Carter will have its day. Well, I'm, well, trying to, I'm actually, saying that right now. I kind of feel the same way about yeah. Lone Ranger. Uh, I you love know, Lone Ranger. Uh, Lone Ranger is worth it for the last half hour oh, with yeah. the train thing. It's um, amazing. There was this time after the Iron Giant came out and crashed and burned. And literally, the Iron Giant became the secret handshake in Hollywood. When, when you were doing your meeting with an executive... And it's like, you know, well, what's your favorite movie? What's the kind of movie you'd like to make? And like, I'd like to make another Iron Giant. And it's like, oh, okay, you're in the club. All right, I get what you like for film. I get, you know, what you want to do. It's these things that became successes later that became beloved later. I, you know, I just worry that, that, that we're not going to have that kind of runway anymore. No. With the amount of no. things that are no. coming out. and no. bump. There's three new Netflix movies every week that mm. you have to catch up mm. on. And God knows how many hours of television. And, and speaking of television, remember, you know, the perception of a movie can change over time because of repetition. Yeah. In much the same way, you know, with Hocus Pocus. In fact, it's so fascinating to talk with my daughter about The Wizard of Oz. Because when I was growing up, The Wizard of Oz came on once a year. When color television entered America, I mean, you'd go down the street to the friend's house who had color television. This is the movie that goes from black and white to color. Oh my God, that's amazing. And again, The the Wizard of Oz was only on once a year. And so it became special. And, And now when it's on three times a week on Turner Classic or it's available Blu-ray or DVD, explain to my daughter, it's like, she looks at me like I'm high. It's like, it was on once and you you waited? Yeah. You know. uh, E.T., I feel like it was a year and a half before that was on tape at all. Yeah. 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 Bob Iger's plan, when we get to Star Wars 10, you want to go to an IMAX theater and see this thing in 3D and have booked your seat in advance and sit dead center in an IMAX theater 
absolutely, we can arrange that for you. If you want to sit at home and watch, you know, our giant space epic on your iPhone on the exact same day, we can do that for you. Yeah. We are headed to that point where, as a consumer, you can choose how you can consume something, when and where, but releasing all these things day and date. From Disney's point of view, honestly, one of the reasons I want to do that, piracy. If it all comes out in all forms on the exact same day... They don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I mean, who's going to be able to pirate it? The downside is you can't screw up marketing. You have to pick the right poster, the right trailer, the right slogan. Yeah. Because it's not like, well, we'll come up with a different poster for the Blu-ray DVD. In fact, have you seen the buses that are driving around here on property with the the art for Christopher Robin? No. Disney is trying now to sell Christopher Robin because none of us went to the theaters to see it. It's all the Winnie the Pooh characters wearing sunglasses and laying back in chaise lounges, which... Which, of course, you know, oh, honey, we have to buy that. So. A scene that was not in the movie. There we yeah. go. <laughs> so, so. Yeah. Any last questions? Basically, you just said, though, do you see that the decrease? If you're able to put out movies in different media at the same time, yep. is there any further the movie theater is going to go away? Is it John Favreau who was the, the guy talking about, you know, he, he's going to fight tooth and nail for the theatrical experience? I mean, the first time you saw Jaws, when you were in a theater full of people who hadn't seen it before, as a, a communal experience when, like, the head fell out of the boat, or, why don't you sling this shit? And you don't get that reaction. You don't go 300 people, go, ah! you know, when you're home alone on the couch. And, you know, so there's a lot of filmmakers who want that communal experience, who want, you know, us, us to, you know, to be able to see these things in these, these wonderful cathedrals of entertainment where, you know, you have that giant screen. So there, there are people trying to protect it, but conversely, there's the guys in the corner office where it's like, look, I just want my money back. I put all this dough into making this movie, and if I put it out, people can, can want to watch it on their iPhone, and that's okay. I don't care. Right now, that's the problem. You have this battle between the money people and the people who actually make the movies, and I hate to say this, but in the the phrase show business, the most important word is business, you know, because otherwise it would be show show. But that's, Um, you know, October was like one of the highest grossing, you know, one of the biggest theatrical months ever. And it's in October. And yeah, no, no, that's exactly. And this used to be, you know, this was the prelude. You know, you actually waited, you know, you're waiting to put out movies. You know, again, think about it. The traditional release patterns. How many years did Disney dump? Well, not dumb, but carefully position its animated features to come out at Thanksgiving because the whole family is home. And after you eat the turkey and you have to stare at grandma for so long, it's like, let's go to a movie. Yeah. Uh, get, let's They've get kind out of, of adopted that for, for Star Wars. Now. Well, yeah, but, but what's weird is to watch how uh, Toy Story, the original Toy Story opened in November, Little Mermaid you know, opened in November, Beauty and the Beast opened in November. And Incredibles. Then, and then because... Lion King ran so far behind production, they ended up releasing that in May of 1994, and it, and it became the biggest hit in animation in, in Disney history, and it was like, holy crap, animation can make money during the summer, and now think about it, Toy Story 3 released during the summer, Incredibles 2 released during the summer. Yeah, Inside Out. Yeah. I think the theatrical experience will still be around. I think it'll I just change. So. I, I think it'll be so. a lot more subscription-based. Mm-hmm. I think... Who knows how long MoviePass will be around, but I think that that model is going to be adopted. You can can look at, I mean, AMC A-List has posted, like, incredible numbers already, and it just started a few months ago. And you look at what Netflix is doing with their sort of 
e-ticket uh, movies this fall, and they're actually opening them several weeks early in theaters mm. to give you the chance to see it, which I just want to say to these people and everyone listening, you need to see Roma in the big, on the big screen. It's 70 millimeter black and white, the and Quran? it's amazing. Yeah, the Alfonso Cuaron. It's yep. an amazing movie, mm. and if you watch it on your phone, I will come and slap the phone out of your hand <laughs> and say, go to the theater and see it. But it seems like there is some more emphasis on, on the theatrical experience, even from Netflix, who didn't give a shit about you know, who saw it on what. Mm. So it's really interesting. It seems like the prestige still is in, in theatrical, too. They, all they want are Oscars, and you're not going to get the Oscars if you're showing up day and date on Netflix. I will say this, though. The one thing that bothers me about the modern theatrical experience is the reserved seat that's leather that you can, you know, you sit down and you can push it back. And yeah, it's I'm like, not a fan. I'm an old fart, okay? You put me in the dark in a seat that bends backwards. I fall asleep, all right? And I get you know, what I've paid 12, 13, $15 to see a movie. I would like to stay awake to see it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a great defensive mechanism. Like when we were watching Christopher Robin, I fell asleep for 15 minutes in the middle and it was like, it zipped right along, <laughs> you know, because, you know, fell asleep during, you know, yeah. years in the river, <clears throat> wake up and it's like, oh yeah, Christopher Robin and Pillow on a hillside. I didn't have to see him fight a half a lump. Hey, yeah. my life is good. Yeah, I think that's the silo of theatrical release will be interesting to see how that changes. Mm -hmm. Like, is that for prestige movies? Is that for the big blockbusters? Or is it for something that we haven't figured out yet? Yeah. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, they talked about HBO toyed with the idea of the last season of Game of Thrones being three two and a half hour long theatrical movies. Do you remember when Ron Howard was talking about doing The Stand, the Stephen King book? Mm -hmm. oh, excuse me. It was uh, uh, Dark no, Tower. The Dark Tower. Yeah. And uh, the conceit was that he would do a Dark Tower movie and then there'd be a full season of Dark Tower television, then another movie, Yeah. another full season of Dark Tower television, and then the movie to wrap it up. Yeah. Universal re they, they really were on board, yeah. Yeah, and it would, but it, in the end, it was like, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to be the first to, to break the seal on, on this sort of idea. It is sort of interesting that streaming has become so popular, and yet movies are exactly the same as they have been for 100 years. It's like, yeah. they could do anything, but they oh. don't. Sorta in slow motion and... I don't think it was ever designed like that. Yeah. Though. I don't think anybody thought they were ever coming back. Like, uh, yeah, that's, you know... Firewalk well, Man. Yeah, yeah but, but there's been other movies, you know, X-Files uh, Fight the Future was in between two seasons of the show and things like that. And when you think about what just happened with The Walking Dead, this entire season yeah. of build-up, like, oh my god, how is he gonna die? Well, he's not gonna die, he's gonna make movies, and it's just sort of like, I love Greg Nicotero, the gentleman who yeah. does all can of, be. Yeah. you know, I mean, he's, he's this wonderful makeups guy, and he's the guy who's been behind the whole Walking Dead series, in fact. Greg is the master of makeup, and he's particularly gory makeup. Alright, so he's working in a project in Georgia and he has to catch a really early 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 morning flight and so he finishes up working on this particularly gory effect and it's like all right I gotta leave for the airport I'm gonna go and so he you know gets in the car and he drives like crazy to the airport and you know he parks his car and he goes inside and he's there ready to go through the TSA and so the guy says please take off your shoes all right so he takes off his shoes and he puts them on the belt and he looks and they are splattered with fake blood 
And it's like they're going through get the machine, and then he looks at his hands, and they are splattered with fake blood because, again, he just, I'm done, I'm leaving. And it's like, I look like the guy who killed his girlfriend and who is trying to get out of the country. And he's at the security point at a point where there are so few people there that he's going to get extra scrutiny. The problem is security guy is so tired at this point. It's like, do you have any metal? It's like, well, no, I left the knife back where I killed my girlfriend. Okay. You know? <laughs> All right, you're fine. Go to Germany. But... Walking Dead at this point is almost, you know, it's, I it's, the, it in years. it's the unwatchable dead. Yeah. And, and now we're going to make movies. And it's just sort of like, oh, it still great. makes money. Yeah, I guess it will. So yeah. I'll tell you what, we'll shut up. Do you so want to end the show? This is the world's longest mini-sode. <laughs> On behalf of Drew Taylor and myself, thank you for listening, and thank you for our, our lovely live audience, the, the folks who came for our Pixar. You made this happen. Okay. Thank you, and good night. Be sure to tune in again for another fine episode of Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor.